Hi, this is Bill Woods, and uh, I see that summer's finally arrived. It's 87 degrees out where I am. If I were down in Phoenix, it'd be 108 or 9, I think, is what they suggested for today. Makes me glad that six months from today is Christmas Eve, and uh, I just got to hang on because cooler days are coming. I thought today that I would talk about what is a good thing. I was going to preach the same thing on this that I'm preaching tomorrow at the Baptist Church, but I decided that I didn't want to do a repeat because some of you duplicate. And so I, I would invite you to come to the Baptist Church tomorrow, a First Baptist Church on the corner of First Avenue in Buffalo. I am filling the pulpit right now until I get a new pastor. I'll be talking tomorrow about how Aiken fried his bacon, and I would encourage you to come. But today, I want to talk about what is a good thing. Psalms 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is a definite promise of God, and he keeps all of his promises. Sometimes we wonder if this is one promise that's really true. The reason for this seeming failure on God's part is because we don't always know how to define a good thing. So the question is, what is a good thing? People usually answer, well, it's good health, long life, lots of friends, popularity, easy times, material things in abundance, plenty of food and no stress, and it goes on like that. But is that always the answer? What is good? Is prosperity always good? I'd say not always. For a lot of people, prosperity keeps them from seeking God's help and, and trying to find God's will. They're getting along so well, they don't think they need God. I, I would rather struggle and have to depend upon God than to prosper so much that I think I am so self-sufficient that I don't even need God and then one day meet him at judgment and find out I was wrong. I, I knew a rich farmer in Grand Coulee, Washington, when we were getting ready to move from up there over to Arlington, Oregon. He invited us to dinner at his house, but uh, when we sat down, it was a sumptuous meal. I asked if I could do the ask a blessing, and he would not allow me to say a blessing at the table because he said he had earned all this himself and didn't need to thank God for anything because he was able to put it all together. And I, I thought, you know, you say that, but where do you think you got the strength? And how do you know how to grow the, the crops without rain and sun and all that? I don't think you really did as much as you think you did. Prosperity isn't always good. It wasn't always good for Job. It was better for him at least one time to be stripped of his wealth, and it was a means of blessing and not a curse. It was good for Job and for everyone who has ever heard his story of what was going on. You know, when a Christian is suffering uh, privation, he's often tempted to think a good thing has been withheld from him. I was thinking about what if we find some kind of illness or something. Is that a good thing? I remember back when we were in Pullman, Washington, and there was a layman's retreat up in, in Canada, and uh, many of the laymen from the district get, went up there to Fairmont Hot Springs for their retreat. 
On the way up, one of the ladies from one of the Spokane churches had a heart attack, and she ended up, instead of at the retreat, she ended up in the hospital just in Canada. And you'd think she would have been bitter. Why, Lord, did you do this? Why did you let this happen? But instead, she had the attitude. She asked God, God, what is it you want me to do for you here? I'm at your disposal. I'll do whatever you want. Poverty. Some people think, you know, poverty is a, is a horrible thing. Can it be a good thing? Well, it draws us closer to God as we learn to depend upon him. And I remember how I've looked back through the years, how God has fed us for so long and taken care of our bills. I can remember we were making $40 a week in Grand Coulee, Washington. That doesn't go very far. We were having to make $93 payments on a trailer that we had left in Kansas City, and we had other bills that had to be paid. Our way of doing it was always to pay our tithe first, pay our bills second, and live on what was left. I remember one week in particular where we paid the bills, we, we paid the tithe, we paid the bills, sat down to see what we had. We had 53 cents left for the week. Marty said, how are we going to make it? I said, I don't know, but God's called us into this ministry. He's going to have to take care of us. Well, next morning, before 7 o'clock in the morning, I heard a bang on the door, and I got up, and, and I went to the door to see what was going on. There was a man from the church there. He's not known to be generous at all, but he said, you know, I went hunting last year, and I, I got a moose, and I had a lot of meat, and I've got this stew meat that I would be glad to give you. I, I just was thinking that on the way that I'd never shared any of this with you, so he gave me a couple pounds of stew meat, and I thought, well, this is good. Uh, later that day, the neighbor lady called and she said, I don't know what's the matter with my head. She said, I went to the store and I bought vegetables last Saturday. She said, I went and bought vegetables again this morning. Could you use some vegetables? Well, of course. And so uh, we went down to Safeways. There was something that we were supposed to do down there. And I found down there a sample box of Bisquick and it was only nine cents. And so we bought that. We had a, enough now ingredients for a real good stew that night. We had a knock on the door. We were trying to figure out how we were going to feed our baby Tammy. And we had a knock on the door. And one of the men that we knew was standing at the door. And he says, you know, my, milk is, my cow is just overproduced on milk. Here's a gallon of milk I would like to give to you. Well, one thing after another, all week long, we didn't miss a meal, and at the end of the week, out of the 53 cents, I had something like 15 cents left. Praise God, he took care of us. Not only that time, but many, many times since, when it didn't look like there was any way we were going to make it, that we were so much in poverty, but God made up the difference for us, and I praise him. Well, what about stress? Can stress be a good thing? I was reading one time about Bishop William Quayle. It's a long time ago, but he couldn't sleep because he was fussing and fuming over all the problems of the world. He felt so stressed. Finally, God said to him, Now, William, you go to sleep and I'll sit up. Well, what about disappointments and stuff? Can they ever be a good thing? I, I was listening. I looked it up because I knew this, this song was available. Garth Brooks sang a song several years ago called Unanswered Prayer. 
in that he was talking about how he and his wife had gone someplace and he met one of his uh, old girlfriends that he thought back when he was a young man that he had to have her as a wife. That's all he could think of. And he prayed, oh God, give me this, this gal as a wife. But it didn't work out. And now that he's staying there with his real wife and he's looking at this and he realizes what a mess that could have been, he thanks God for the fact that God didn't let him marry that girl. That was an unanswered prayer that God gave as a blessing. You know, it just might be a lesser good as being exchanged for a greater good. We often hear that Christians should expect to prosper and be healthy and live long and be famous and this prom promise is glibly quoted from Psalm 84:11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Then someone repeats, After all, we're all kids of the king. I, I, I don't like that. It's just a little bit too familiar with God for me. I, I don't think it shows respect, but I hear it so many times, or I have heard it. There's a Baptist church down in Phoenix, Arizona that I used to listen to his broadcast on, the, on television late on Sunday night after we got home from our church services. And he, he said, you know, that uh, if you attended his church, he, he thought God wants everybody to be rich. He wants all the people. And he'd say, attend this church and learn how to become a millionaire. Well, I'll be honest, there are a couple of times I was attempted to go out and see how he could make me a millionaire. But you know, that's not the most important thing in our lives. The most important thing is to be uh, in tune with God, that he can do whatever he wants to with our lives. When happiness doesn't rush our lives into our lives and things get a little rough, we seem sometimes to let our faith begin to diminish and... and uh, start to shatter why uh, we ask why god are you letting me go through this rough time why is it that i i don't see the things that i, I really want to see maybe it's because we don't understand the meaning of good it's not for us to always see the true meaning and value of all things that come our way sometimes we don't know the whys or the wherefores so we must learn to live by faith we don't need faith when sight always leads the way Sight is trust in the visible, not the promise of the invisible. You have faith when you sit in a chair. You know, you've seen the chair and you realize it looks pretty sturdy and so you're safe to sit down and so you know it will hold you. That's not faith, that's sight. Sight doesn't need God. Sight doesn't need an answer. Faith feeds on what God has promised while we still can't see it. it. It gives meaning when such meaning doesn't seem to be there. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I would ask again, what is a good thing? Because we know God has promised in Romans 8.28 that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, anything that God may send or allow to happen to our lives is a good thing. You know, if something happens to an upright man or woman and uh, God has sent it, it's not designed to swamp their boat, but to cause them to grow and succeed as a child of God. 
To understand this, we must reevaluate the things that come our way. Could illness ever be a good thing? What about not having enough money? Could that be a good thing? Man, I'll tell you, I've been an expert on that. I've got a thing on my refrigerator that says, I started out with nothing and still have most of it left. But I've told you how God has cared for us through the years. What about stress? Do you suppose Isaiah thought it was a good thing the year that King Uzziah died? I mean, he felt like his world had totally unraveled at that time. He felt his career and his life had caved in, that there was really no place to go. But it was a good thing because it made him seek God's face and made him grow and develop into the prophet that we know about in the Old Testament that gave us so many wonderful messages. We often worry about finances. Why doesn't God bless us and give us the money that we need for our wants? That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? Really? How many Christians do you see today that are on their faces before God, worshiping Him? How many of them have learned the things that we've had to learn through the years, and how many feel the closeness to God that we do when we've learned to depend totally upon Him? It's a good thing that we have to face difficult times because it makes us grow. You know, I, I was told sometimes if you're seeing a little chicken trying to hatch out of an egg and, and you feel sorry because the chicken is struggling, it's working like everything, so you reach down and you kind of break the shell and make it easier on the chicken. You know, it, it, they tell me that that little chicken doesn't develop right and chances are it's going to die because it didn't be able to be stressed enough to get out of the shell and get the strength to live. Because of these hard times, we can better understand how God cares for us as his own. Do you suppose Job felt it was a good thing to go through the trials that he faced? Especially when he developed those boils and his wife wouldn't let up on the nagging? It turned out to be a good thing because God taught him so many important lessons. And that's how it works with us too. Again, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God showed Satan how faithful Job was. That was the contest. Satan said, if you don't bless him, he'll curse you. And God said, that is not so. My servant Job will trust me no matter what. And Satan had to eat crow on that because Job went through the whole ordeal with his comforters coming and, and making accusations, his wife nagging at him, his going through the thing with boils, his losing all his possessions and his children. All that was horrible. But God blessed Job even more when the testing was over and Job proved that he was faithful and trusting God. I was thinking about my mother and how she went through a time before she died of very poor health. And there were people around that would say, Dorothy, if you just had enough faith, you know, you, you've got problems. One lady even dropped her friendship because she said, I don't want to be around somebody who hasn't got any more faith than you do. My aunt said to her, Dorothy, if you just claim the promises and have the faith. And mom was so distressed. And she asked me, she said, do you think I really have lost my relationship with God? I said, no, mom. 
I said, I don't think so. God is right there, and sometimes we go through these hard times to build our faith. And I want you to know that my mom at, at one time was very weak in her faith, but when she died, she knew God in a very personal way, and I'm sure that she made it to heaven. Poor health was a blessing to mom at that time. Do you think that Daniel felt that it was a good thing when he was thrown into the lion's den? I imagine at the time he probably thought it would be a better thing to just spend the night in his own bed in safety. I can almost see him as he's down there in the lion's den and the lion's God has shut their mouths. They can't do anything to him and they're laying down and he lays down. Use one of them as a footrest and another one as a, a pillow. Uh, that was a good thing because really it drew Daniel closer to the Lord. It witnessed to King Darius about the glory of God. And it helps me to relax when it looks like the lions have me at the main item on their menu or as the main item on their menu. Do you think Christ felt the relief of a good thing when he suffered in the garden, sweating great drops of blood in anticipation of the cross? And then when he went to the cross, do you think he said, oh, joy, this is a good thing? No, it was a good thing because of the results of what he did, paying for yours and my salvation. What seemed a tragedy was really the highest good thing that could have happened because that event earned us an opportunity to confess our sins to Jesus Christ, accept him as our Savior, and become joint heirs with him in the kingdom of God and have the, the hope of being able to spend eternity with him in heaven. That was a good thing. Getting there didn't seem like such a good thing. I faced things that seemed like they would kill me at the time, only to find that they were some of the greatest events that could have happened in God's training of a, a preacher. I remember when we went where I was in seminary and I was assigned a little struggling church in Sunflower, Kansas that, that looked like it was going to go under. The district superintendent had said in chapel of, at seminary one day, anybody who wants to go out and learn some lessons, you can go out to this church and try to pastor it. And I, God just squeezed my heart. I knew I was the one that had to go. And so I went out there. Well, there was this one fellow that was a church boss. He thought because he had been there a long time, he was not going to have some ministerial student come out and be the pastor and make decisions. And I remember one time there was supposed to be a teenage party, and, and I wasn't out there because we still lived in Kansas City. I only went out for the weekends. But I got there and somebody said, you know, Dave, he, he chased the uh, family off. He, these kids showed up for a party and he said, you don't go here. You don't belong here. Get out. Well, I called the district superintendent. And I said, what do I do about this? He said, you know, you'll learn a whole lot more if you handle this problem rather than if I come out and handle it for you. And I thought, oh, joy, this is what I really want. He said, you know, the Church of the Nazarene Manual says that you are the pastor and you have the authority over every committee, over everything that goes on in the church, that you are the one that has the final authority. Well, I called Dave in when I got out there Sunday. And I said, Dave, I said, you, you, you did wrong. 
I said, we appreciate having you in the church, but I'll tell you what, if I have to make a choice between you being here and you chasing people off, I will keep the people that you chase off. And he sat there and he started breathing. <laughs> I thought he was going to explode. But finally, he said, that's the way it is. I said, that's the way it is. And I read to him out of the Nazarene manual that I was the pastor of the church and he was to follow my instructions and directions. And you know, Dave, after that, became one of my biggest backers. But I'll tell you what, at the time, I thought, this stress here, I can't take it. Why doesn't somebody come and relieve me? But it turned out to be the best thing that could have happened because through the years, I then was able to handle other problems that came up. I, I got to Pullman, there was Chuck there who thought he was chairman of the board and he thought that I had to ask him for permission for things and direction for things and he didn't like the way I preached and wanted to stop my preaching and I had to take a stand and say, no Chuck, this is not what's going to happen. You're not the chairman of the board. I am and you will begin to submit to my authority. We got through it. Chuck left the church. But the church prospered after that because he was gone. I remember going to Deer Valley Church the Nazarene. We had a couple there, Tom and his wife, who practiced a form of witchcraft. And they kept calling all kinds of problems, causing problems. And I, I wasn't sure what to do. But God used that hard place. You know, that was good because God used it to train this pastor to know how to face those kind of crises. I now value those experiences more than I do my college or seminary education. At the time, I didn't think they were a good thing. But as I look back, that was the best thing that God could have allowed me to have. We need to reevaluate re the word good. God uses things for good that we hadn't dreamed could be good. God knows best. I love that little chorus, God's Ways Are Best, which I used to sing it as a duet with my sister, and, and we just love that song. It goes this way. God's ways are best ways, I found it so. Where'er he leads me, there I will go. And never question when comes the test. For I know always God's ways are best. I find at 80 years old I'm able to throw more clinkers into the choruses than I used to. Anyhow, we need to learn to trust God. Don't fold up when trials come. Take a stand and believe in God. Remember that they're for your good. And you will treasure the outcome if you keep faithful to God. Remember again, Romans 8:28. it's clear and it's true. And we know that for those who love God, all things are worked together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Even though I don't know the good right now, I can know that God can use it for my benefit. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I pray that you'll help us to be able to identify times in our life that we think are going through hard times, that we want to feel sorry for ourselves, that if we'll just put our faith in you, that you will help us through these struggles, we'll come out stronger and we'll be more what you want us to be. 
Bless each one that's listened to this podcast. Help each one to realize the most important thing they can do today is to confess their sins to Jesus Christ, ask for forgiveness of that sin, and accept you as their personal Savior. Then, Lord, we'll be able to live victoriously and one day be in heaven with you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. I I would remind you again, if you want to get a hold of me, my phone number is 623-845-2741. You can use it to call or you can use it to text. My email address is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. I try to monitor that, but sometimes I get so many different emails in that I might miss something. So be patient with me. Try again if you don't hear back from me or give me a call. And then finally, you know, uh, we, we can trust the Lord to help us to understand. If you want to write to me, it's Box 4031, Sun, uh, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. God bless you. I do invite you to come to the church, of the Baptist Church, First Baptist Church tomorrow in Holbrook, and be a part of what we're doing. God bless you.